Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. All right, guys, welcome to the next edition of the Better Sign Shop podcast. We're down a team member today. Sign Shop Yoda is on a galaxy far, far away. Something like that. I don't like that either. (laughs) We're missing Peter today, so it's just Mike, the sign burrito king of California, Riley, and myself. We do have a special guest joining us today a little later in the episode so i'm excited for that but to kick things off mike what's new with you man well not too much been a busy week for me no progress on the house this week my catalytic converters were stolen off of my truck so it's been in the garage so i haven't been able to <laughs> are you do serious any... oh that's serious yeah it's awesome yeah meth heads are a problem in oregon Everything you hear on the news is true. Like just in your driveway, somebody came in in the middle of the night, stole your catalytic converter? No, so it's been like 100 degrees here for the last couple weeks. It's been like an insane heat wave. And for this remodeling project for our house, I just bought like an 18-year-old beater Nissan Frontier that I could use just as a work truck. And it overheated in this 100-degree weather. I was hauling topsoil in it, and it overheated and left me alongside the roads. I just had my wife come pick me up, and I left it there thinking, okay, it'll cool down overnight. I'll come get it in the morning. We live out in the country, so I figured it'd be safe. And next morning, somebody actually, they stole my catalytic converters. They cut my fuel line and siphoned all the fuel out of my gas tank. They damaged my fuel pump. And the price like four grand worth of damage to this truck. It's hardly even worth $4,000. Oh, my gosh. And it, like yeah, they the stole your gas as well? <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, straight up. Just like drained. It was a full tank of gas, too, and it's like bone dry now. But yeah, oh, no, they did They did $4,000 of damage to this truck, and I don't even think the truck's worth that much. And so right now I'm just waiting on the insurance company to pay me. I haven't had a vehicle in a week and a half, so no work on the house, which is fine because it really sucks doing landscaping at 100 degrees. So I'm not, I guess I'm not complaining that much. But So that's... <laughs> what's going on in my life. Hey, man, that's some redneck West Virginia shit right there. Oh, it's rampant out here in Oregon. Like every night on the news, there's some new article about catalytic converter thefts and like the new cottage industry. Like anybody who has a welder around here now is like making rebar cages to, to weld over people's catalytic converters so people don't steal them. Like it's, it's like becoming a hot industry in Portland. That's crazy. But yeah, next, yeah. It's, next business idea right there. I know. Catalytic I, converter I the, cages. Yeah, it's nuts. I had to call uh, and file a police report for the insurance claim on it. And the sheriff's deputy that I talked to, he's like, you're like the fifth one today that I've had to do this for. He's like, it's pretty much all I do is just catalytic converter reports. It's, Jeez. It's what you signed up for in the police academy, I'm sure. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. How's, how's your week been? Well, I think the last episode I mentioned the previous week, the babysitter was sick. The babysitter is on vacation this week. So another <sighs> lovely week of having all the kids at home driving my wife crazy. Other than that, we're getting ready to travel out of town over the weekend, so we're looking forward to that. We're headed to Pittsburgh to visit my wife's brother. Pittsburgh's an awesome city. Yeah, yeah, I used to live up there for a time. But yeah, looking forward to that. You gonna go to Permanti Brothers and get a big pastrami sandwich? A big sandwich, yeah. I gotta make sure I keep with the dad bod here, so. Yeah. Got to work it. Yeah, I do like Permanis. There's a lot of great breweries up there too, so I might try to take in some of that. Nice. We'll have a safe trip. As, as safe as you can be in a car with a bunch of females. Oh, the video that, that you sounded a on little Facebook. sexist, but <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be our next cease and desist letter. Will be <laughs> somebody filing a sexist claim against you. Yeah, I Maybe did look at the analytics out. on Spotify, and it's 95 percent of listeners are male. Hopefully we can change that in the future, but yeah, it is what it is. It was also uh, kind of strange that it shows what music they listen to. And it was like Post Malone. And then the rest of it was superstar country singers. The Post Malone doesn't make sense. That's an odd fit with. Weird. I don't, I've (laughs) not been in a shop. Obviously I haven't been in very many shops here as of late, but I've not been in a shop where they're blasting Post Malone while they make signs, but 
Nah, that's weird. What kind of music you like? Garth Brooks and Post Malone? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so let's get into the topic today. Outsourcing. What did we title this one? Outsourcing your way to freedom. That one's, that's a really ambitious title. I like, I like that though. Yeah. It's got a ring to it. Yeah. That's going to sell some tickets, sell some seats. Today we want to talk about outsourcing as a tool to improve your business and whatever improving your business means for you. Mike, where do we want to start on outsourcing today? I love outsourcing. I think that it is the easiest way to grow your business with the least amount of resistance and money out of pocket. It's a great way for any small shop to greatly expand their product offering without having to take on a huge amount of overhead or new employees or new skill sets that you just don't have or that don't in your, aren't in your wheelhouse. I'm amazed. I talk to so many shops left and right now, and I'm amazed at how many more shops are moving in this direction. And they're starting to focus on what they're really good at in-house and only doing that. And they're, they're trimming back. And it seems like that's the trend right now is to become as lean as you can in-house, focus on your core strengths, and then outsource everything else. And when I sold my shop going on 10 years ago now, there were some really good vendors out there for certain things. But it seems like now the marketplace for outsource services in this industry is huge. And I think you can run an entire sign shop without ever getting out of your pajamas anymore if you align yourself with the right vendors. It's pretty amazing. I'm sure there's still some pretty pretty gnarly vendors out there that aren't that great, but it seems anything you need in this industry now, there's somebody out there that's an expert in it that can wholesale it to you for pennies on the dollar compared to what it would cost you to manufacture it in-house. So leveraging those vendors and manufacturers and would be a great way to really expand into new markets, offer services, or just make your operation leaner and get, get rid of some stuff that you do in-house currently. Yeah, I would love to run a side shop from my pajamas. That would be the dream. But yeah, if you're like Peter, I think he came in to, I don't know if it was one of the podcasts, but he had the Hawaiian shirt on. So maybe you want to run it, your <laughs> shop in your pajamas or your Hawaiian shirt or from the beach or whatever. That was the promise that we sold in a former life, right? Was, hey, dude, work from the beach, manage your shop from wherever you're at. So I, I definitely feel like that is more accessible and easier to do today. Why do you think that has become a trend? I, I think technology's gotten to a point where the the project management and the communication is pretty streamlined with as good as technology is now and systems for managing orders like that and, and remote customers. And I don't know, I want to say that maybe COVID has had something to do with it, although that's totally anecdotal and I don't know for sure. But I think COVID has really proven to a lot of people that you can work remotely. You can do a lot of things that you don't have to be in your physical building to do. So I, I think that's opened a lot of people's eyes to the reality that, hey, we can run a sustainable, profitable business by just outsourcing things, most things, everything. But I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm assuming it's just a combination of a lot of things. Technology is getting better and better. Equipment's getting better and people's eyes are open to, or maybe their minds are open to other ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I think COVID definitely has accelerated that. I uh, Obviously there were some, there were quite a few shops that closed during COVID or went out of business. I think you've seen some consolidation after that. Of course, we talked to a couple of shops that have actually grown through COVID, which was yeah, a nice thing to hear on one of those calls the other day, but definitely I think technology is kind of the leader of that and being able to coordinate with your entire team via Zoom or text or email or Slack definitely facilitates working remotely. And I think working remotely also goes hand in hand with outsourcing. But you know, shops have been outsourcing larger projects for ages. In our old shop, we didn't do any electrical stuff or the few projects that we did, we would outsource to one of the other local electrical sign companies that specialized in that. Did you guys do a lot of outsourcing back in the day or no? Yeah, not as much as I I would have liked to. I think looking back, I should have outsourced more. My my shop was almost the outsource outsourcer, the wholesaler. I did a lot of wholesale work. And actually Jeremy, our guest coming on here in a little bit, was one of my customers. I used to do a decent amount of wide format printing for him. So my business model was almost to be a wide format vendor to to the sign industry where people could outsource. And we did a fair amount of business in that. And that's just the natural direction that my business took, especially after the economic kind of crash of 2008, 2009. In my market, it became much harder to sell 
expensive signs, electrical signs and hand carved signs, gold leaf, things like that. Even that's what I that's what I got into the industry to do. We definitely had to pivot pretty hard when the economy crashed and wide format really took over and had all this equipment sitting around and I'd like to keep this running even if it's for a little less money per square foot. So we carved out a pretty good niche in doing a lot of wholesale like wrap printing and decals and whatever kept the printers running. And it, it was profitable and it was good for us. If I could go back in time, I'd probably have one one printer in a house for quick turn jobs and that's it. It's There's so many good wholesale vendors out there now for anything that I think you'd almost be crazy to try and get into that side of the industry when you can outsource it for way less than you can produce it in house. So yeah, the economy was weird around that time for us. And I always struggled to find really great vendors. I had a few in my back pocket that I leaned on a lot, but like I said, like they're compared to what's who's out there now, what's about available now, like it wasn't that great right. <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Or I would have outsourced more. I think I could have built a pretty solid business with, like I said, in my pajamas without any employees or equipment at all if there were the vendors that are available today. Yeah, that's a good an interesting point. I, like the most of the industry is probably smaller shops. Obviously, we've got like a, a quite a big mixture of different shops within our mastermind group and the Facebook group that we run. But most of the shops that are probably listening to this are probably smaller. Maybe they they're solo guys or they've got three, four, five, six, ten people. What would you recommend for them moving forward? Speaking from past experience, I and I think you guys took this path as well. In the old shop, we would just buy a piece of equipment. If we wanted to start offering flatbed printing, we would go out and buy the flatbed printer. And some of that was tax driven at the end of the year. You had a profit that you could either spend or pay a, a lot of taxes on it. So it was kind of, hey, let's let's continue to fuel the business here. But as some of those purchases, we didn't really have the business to justify a $100,000 printer at the time. We made it work but definitely wasn't a, a great decision <laughs> at the time, it, looking back. It, yeah, that, that was definitely my experience too. Like you end up with equipment because you just don't have a good source for that. That's how I ended up with a CET flatbed too. And that's why I'm now bald because <laughs> of that <laughs> printer. I'm, I'm amazed you still have hair. One. I think I got like that's a fourth why I said or fifth model after you did. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than the first one off the line like I got. Holy crap. Um, yeah. It, that's a big reason that I ended up with a decent amount of equipment was just because I've got customers begging me for this product, whatever it may be. And I, there's just, there's no good, there's no good sources for it. Especially like when you get into flatbed printing and you want to move beyond just like foam core and corrugated plastic and you want to start doing some of the cool stuff with it, like printing on fabric or like I, I had a customer, he was a, he had a, a dry cleaning business. He had seven or eight locations and they did home delivery and home pickup and they wanted some really cool like in-store displays and instead of just making it like a retractable banner stand we actually ran a bunch of six panel hollow core doors through our flatbed with their graphics on it and we put door handles in the whole nine yards and that was their like their stand-up display in their lobby of all their, their their dry cleaning stores advertising their home pickup and delivery because like they you just had to give you this bag and you hang it on your door gotcha. porch and, yeah that's pretty neat so, it was like it was a really it was a really cool way to do something tactile and dimensional as a retail POP type display. You can there's no way you could outsource that back then. I guess it's debatable if you could even outsource it today, just given shipping on a bunch of doors. But stuff like that, it just it made it really difficult to to outsource and to be able to offer those kinds of things. And if you want to set yourself apart from your competition and be the go-to place for customers when they've got some wild, crazy harebrained idea, you got to have the equipment to do it. And Is that a good strategy, or do you want to be that? shop i think we all do and like being years removed from the shop now i still feel that itch of like i want to go back and make something start a shop that's a good question is that why is that, yeah, right. is that a good business model yeah i, don't know. I, I always not. enjoyed those projects but if i just obviously i don't have the numbers in front of me but if i go back and i like think through those crazy off the wall projects that we did like that printing cornhole boards, like actual birch plywood, running it through the flatbed. Those were no doubt really cool projects, but I don't think we ever made any money on them. So I don't, yeah, we probably <laughs> yeah. lost money on all those jobs. Yeah. And, and I guess yeah. that brings satisfaction, uh, yeah, I mean, but obviously we're in business to, to make uh, money. <laughs> right. Not stroke our egos. Um, 
it's a tough call if that equipment is critical to the operation or if it's just something that you want to have to, to be able to use it when the need arises. I would say you're probably on the right path that just buying it because you want it, because you think you need it, because you think you're going to get these cool orders is definitely not the approach to take, even though we've all done that. And again, for me, 10, 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't have gone down that path if there were better vendors that I could align myself with. But it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, okay, I'm paying somebody, like I'm paying like Science 365, I don't know, 80 cents a square foot for corrugated plastic yard signs or whatever they charge you per square foot. I don't even know what it is anymore. Oh man, if I had a flatbed printer, it's cheap. It's dirt cheap, right? But it's easy to say if I had a flatbed printer, I could do that for 20 cents a square foot. Like it's three times cheaper. That's so much more profit margin. But really a difference between 20 cents a square and 80 cents is not that much. It's not going to make it or break it. And that flatbed is going to cost you a fortune and overhead to keep there to save that little bit of money. So I think most shops, if they would really were to sit down and do the math of what it would cost, truly cost to manufacture something in-house with overhead and staffing and maintenance and the whole nine yards, it, it, financially it makes a whole lot more sense to outsource most things. Unless you're so big and your volume is so massive where then those pennies really count. But for the average shop, like pennies don't matter. Like they really don't. And getting caught up in the pennies is dangerous, yeah. I think. And I think it's easy to underestimate like the service and time involved. I'm sure like printers and equipment have gotten better over the years, obviously, but still, even if you spend, you look at a, a purchase of a big piece of equipment, like a router table or a flatbed cutter, flatbed printer, easily like a hundred grand for something nice. You look at that as okay, it's a hundred grand and then we're good. You, what you don't see is the, like the maintenance costs, the time that you're going to spend on servicing that piece of equipment when it goes down the headaches. So I think we're telling a long winded story to say, if you're out there now and you're looking at, Hey, should I buy a router or should I buy a brand new flatbed printer? The first question you have to answer is going to be, do I have the volume now to make all the payments on that? And make sure I'm covering not just the loan payments, but also the ongoing expenses associated with that. And does that make sense mm -hmm. financially? Yeah. The maintenance thing is definitely something that I think a lot of people fail to take into consideration. I'll use my CET flatbed as an example. Things you don't really think about a lot, but if you get one head strike on that and you damage a head, like it's not a it's not a four hundred dollar Epson print head that you see in like a Mamaki or something. Mine had eight Spectra heads at 2500 bucks a pop. And if you scratch the nozzle plate on two of those, not only are you down for a week, you're also out quite a bit of money to replace those. That's stuff that you just don't factor in. You just don't really, you can't really, it's hard to factor that stuff in because it's such an unknown. But that's why I say you really need to have the volume to justify those. And it's not like a machine that you just buy and put in place and then you forget about, especially when you're moving up into larger equipment like that. It's, a, it's an ongoing, constant, maintenance requirement and maintenance on those things. The bigger the machine is, the more expensive they are to maintain and keep running. Absolutely. So the advice here is outsource all your stuff. Hey, whatever piece of equipment <laughs> that you're trying to buy, find a vendor for that. Keep them as busy as possible until you have the work to justify that printer, that router. Don't buy it just because you want it or it's the end of the year and your accountant says, hey, we need to spend money to save on taxes. And I think there's like a keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing in the industry as well, where, oh man, like the sign shop down the street, they just bought, they just bought a new flatbed. So like, I'm not going to be competitive with them unless I also have a flatbed as well. It's easy to fall into that trap too, where you've got to keep up with your competition or you feel like you're going to lose customers to them because they've got all the fancy toys and equipment and that's not how it really works. And you shouldn't ever buy a piece of equipment because your competitor did, you know. Or it's just <laughs> because you want the toys, yeah. Like I mentioned, that was yeah, like a big right. thing for us was like, oh yeah, we could do that. We could do that. Yeah, of course. We No, we got that in-house. Right. We could do that. And I feel like we talked to a lot of shops where the strategy for a lot of them is, hey, we're a one-stop shop. and. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's multiple ways to success. Obviously, like some shops have success with that model, but it is stressful. It's a, a lot of headaches for the owner. Doing so many different things, you really split your focus and it becomes hard to be 
great at all of them. So not knocking you if you are a one-stop shop, that's okay. But there's different ways to have a successful sign shop. And I think that kind of leads us into what we're going to chat with our guest Jeremy about is what's the ideal shop for you? I think I could say this and it'd be true for you too, Mike, when I say it is like when we were coming up, it was like, hey, we got to grow. I want to have the biggest shop possible because that's how I'm going to make the most money or have the best exit or whatever the ideal was at that time. It was like bigger is better. I feel like that shifted some as well. That kind of goes back into what I think it was on our very first podcast episode. We talked about this, the business mentality of grow or die is kind of beaten into all of our heads. And this sort of goes hand in hand with that, where you feel like if you're not constantly moving forward and growing and expanding your business, then you're doing something wrong. If your sales aren't always going up by 20% every year, you're doing something wrong. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's a really bad rut to fall into. It will compel you to buy equipment that you don't need, bring on services and staff in house that you don't need in, the, in pursuit of this growth goal, which growth isn't bad, but like we talked about in that first episode, you got to manage it aggressively and outsourcing as much as possible is one way to really control that growth and keep it on track and keep it from just spiraling out of control where you're buying tons and tons of equipment that you don't necessarily need or that you'd be better off letting somebody else buy in wholesale to them. So... My next question for you is, what can't you outsource or what should you be outsourcing? What's our saying in the group that we have? JFFI? Just <laughs> JFFI. Just fucking fiber it. I love fiber. Um, it has its place. No, I think that question is going to depend on the individual shop owner and what, what their core product offering is they produce in-house and you know what all the ancillary things are that their customers are asking them for that they maybe don't do in-house but things that are really commoditized in our industry now wide format printing in general i think falls under that to me i can't imagine trying to have a big roster of roll-to-roll equipment in-house trying to print wraps and decals and things like that print quality is important but honestly like i guarantee you there's a wholesaler out there that can print better than anything you can print in-house more accurately faster and just as cheap per square foot. It's just one of those things that let somebody else do it. They, somebody who does it all day, every day, is going to do it better, yeah. faster. There's no reason to try and print. Do you have any else. recommended vendors on that? Um, Aside from the obvious, like, Science 365? Science 365 was, like, the only one back in the day that I used. There were a few, like, smaller shops here and there, but I, I don't know how Science 365 is doing. I haven't used them in years, but that I used to love those guys. They had a great online portal for ordering. It was really easy. Their product offering is pretty cut and dry. They don't get anything super custom and stuff, but for corrugated plastic and basic self-adhesive vinyl, banners and stuff like that, like they're great. They generally get the product to you in one to two days. Your customer will never know you outsourced it. So vendors like that are fantastic. Used to outsource a lot of channel letters to like Direct Sign Wholesale and Econo Channel. Both of those guys are still around doing well, but... Honestly, I'm so far removed from the actual like sales and manufacturing side of the industry now. I really don't know who <laughs> who the good vendors are anymore. But everybody that I talk to that's outsourcing, they've all got a list of heavy hitters in their back pocket that they re rely on regularly. Do do most sure. of your signed design clients are they outsourcing stuff like channel letters, or are they they're manufacturing themselves? A lot of my most of my design clients are larger sign shops that, that are electrical shops. Most of them occasionally outsource work, but more more like as an overflow type thing and not as like a core product offering. If you're in the if you're trying to compete in the electric sign business and you're trying to do any sort of volume at all, you really you need to build stuff in house too. Although I do have one client who has I think they've got 10 or 12 installers and a fleet of trucks and everything, but they don't actually manufacture anything in house. They outsource it all. And they're super successful and they do really well. And then I've got other shops that just outsource the random channel letter sign here and there to keep their their shop floor unclogged with commodity. Where like in the electrical sign industry, a set of channel letters on a raceway is pretty much the same as is commoditized in the same way that a banner is for a vinyl right. shop. Yeah, there's so a that's something you can yeah, easily there's outsource. A thousand different vendors for that. And you can't really you can't really screw up a set of channel letters either. Like they're pretty basic and simple. So most of them try to focus on their core competencies in house, which is the fabrication stuff and really doing a good job with that. And anything that's just cut and dry type signage, they they usually outsource 
just to, to free up the production floor, which is another great reason to outsource too, not necessarily just to expand your product offering or get into new markets, but just as overflow. That's the majority of my design work is just overflow work out of people's art departments that they're too busy to handle certain jobs in house. So they need to offload some of that. Not that they're outsourcing all their design to me. I'm just getting a portion of it when they're too busy to do it in house. So keeping, keeping your staff free to focus on what they do best is another really good. I think that's a great point. I think it's definitely understated as well. Yeah. How many guys did we talk to on the mastermind calls where like, Hey, we've got more work than we can handle right now. Yeah. And they're having a hard time finding employees too. That's obviously something that everybody's struggling with is finding staffing. And after COVID staffing up is becoming a really, really difficult challenge to overcome for, I think everybody in this industry. I don't think I've talked to anybody who's, oh yeah, I'm having a great time hiring people. Everybody's not enjoying that process. Like it sucks. It's hard. So yeah, just out of necessity because you can't staff up or you want to run a lean crew in house. Outsourcing is a great way to allow you to do that without theoretically without sacrificing quality or having to charge your customer more. So I, I like those points, Mike. Uh, and I think that kind of naturally leads us into our conversation with our guests. All right. So welcome to our guest, Jeremy Seegers. Mike, since Jeremy was a former customer of yours, why don't you give him the, the introduction, give him the, the rah, rah, bring him on. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got Jeremy Seegers with the Sharp Mill graphics with us today. Yeah, I did a little bit of wholesale printing for Jeremy way back in the day. Gosh, what was that? Like at least 10, 12 years ago, was, 15 years was, ago? Uh, well, actually, I got into business. It was 2002, so maybe 2004. It's been a while. He was a Science 101 customer, I think is where he yeah. found me on there. <laughs> the, original, the original social networking of the signage industry, science101.com. Yeah. I was actually just on there the other day and it's, yeah. it's pretty dead now and it's, it's not as active as it used to be, but yeah. still some of the old school guys are still there. I bet, I bet you Gino's still there. <laughs> He's pretty much the only person that's yeah. still there. It seems yeah. like, but yeah, yeah. So I, I, I met Jeremy years ago, just doing some wholesale, like rap printing and decals and things like that for him. Stayed in touch over the years. Jeremy has since kind of had a, a pretty monumental shift in the way he operates. He's, he's gotten rid of his, his actual brick and mortar shop and, and his staff. And now he, he's a one man operation and he outsources everything, which is why we wanted to have him on the podcast episode today so welcome jeremy we're glad you yeah. are here yes hey, i'm glad to be friend. here guys glad to be here yeah. so I, I guess like if you if you would kind of just paint a, a a quick picture for for our listeners of, of sort of you know your your original entry into the industry what you did and then you know how that's evolved and what led you to your decision to you know get rid of everybody and everything and sell sell the farm and just just do what you're doing now yeah. yeah. Well, I got in the business, like I said, like 2000, 2003, I actually started working for a family company, family sign shop right out of high school and, uh, started days before digital printing I was running an automatic screen printing press. We were screen printing big campaign size, four foot by eight foot. And nowadays all that stuff's all digital. And I love doing that sort of stuff. And it was just even back to high school, all my elective classes, all art classes, it was all drawing ceramics and all that fun stuff, but in high school to do that sort of art and bring that, how do you make money doing that sort of art? Like just drawing it. I, mean, I really didn't see sort of future in it, but then when I got to working at this sign shop, it's like, whoa, I mean, like this is, this is commercial art. People, they need this stuff. And it just opened my eyes to another world of art. It was commercial art. And so I worked there for a while and, um, probably about six months or so. And I'd come home from work every day and tell my parents, oh, I made this and we did this. Oh, we, we made it for this company. We made a contract with Coca-Cola, <laughs> Pepsi. And so it was fun. And after about six months, one of their, uh, their kids graduated from college, came back to work for the family business. And they're like, well, Jeremy, we, we don't need anymore. I'm like, oh man, like what? Oh, I, was, no. I, was just, I was so bummed. I was so bummed. And uh, but I, was like, I, I loved, I loved everything about it. It was like my art background and the business side of things. And so yeah, one day it was, I mean, the internet was just kind of starting to come around at that point. So I just happened to, I think it might've been AOL, like dial up or something. So on was happened to be on the, went on the internet and was just doing a little bit of research and came across, um, an open house, a Grimco, which was small Grimco at the time, <laughs> they were having an open house. So me and my dad, one Saturday, we go to a an open house at Grimco here in Chicago. And the big players are there, the big suppliers, the big manufacturers, and end up coming home with a little plotter of software. 
had a couple rolls of vinyl. I just started teaching myself, started playing around with it and got into it as a little hobby. And I started, then I started going to college and went to college for uh, computers and networking. And then, so yeah, it's this little hobby, just go to college classes during the day, come home, do my homework, go work, start to learn more about sign lab and making a few things here and there. And next thing you know, my, uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad, he had a, uh, he owned a wrecking and excavating business. So we had big Caterpillar tractors and, and uh, John Deere equipment. And it's like, Jeremy, hey, or you got some, you're getting an assignment making business. Do you be interested in lettering some of my tractors with, with our company name? Like, sure, grandpa, I'll give it a shot. And so I start lettering his tractors and then other people, hey, Jeremy, can you do this? And one thing I'm, I'm, now I'm this little side, I'm got a little side business. I'm making a car payment. I'm paying car insurance while I'm going to college full time. This is great. Yeah. And going to, and uh, just kind of goes from there. And then you know, I'm actually disabled. I have muscular dystrophy. So I get around a mobility scooter and a power wheelchair. And so at the time, the goal was I was going to school for computers because it's like, all right, I'm not going to be able to have a real physical job. I'm, I'm not going to be able to pick up a lot of heavy stuff. I'm not going to be able to really do a physical type job. So that's why I went to college for computers. So the end game was be able to get done with college, get my degree, go get a job as a network administrator or something like that for a company, and then have my side business at the same time. Perfect world. Everything was great. So now by the time I get done with college, I'm getting around on a mobility scooter full-time and start going on interviews for my job. And every interview I would go into, every person I interviewed with, every HR person, they'd see me on my scooter. They just, they'd stick their nose up at me. That's, they did not want anything to do with me because I was disabled. They just were discriminating against me. They didn't care if I was the smartest guy in the room or smartest guy in the building. All they saw was my disability. And it was heartbreaking. And like, imagine for a good, yeah, solid, tough. for a good solid year, <clears throat> I interviewed trying to get a job with my degree. Interview after interview, I'd roll in, same result, same thing. Everybody just stick their nose up. And all they thought was, you're going to be taken off of work all the time. You're going to be on medication. You're going to be a liability. And I did this for a good solid year. But in, in the meantime, on the side, I'm still building my business my science and graphics business around my disability. It's that's still growing. Nobody cared about my disability. Everybody just cared about building a relationship with me and how good a work I did. They didn't care if I was disabled or not. So after a good solid year of interviewing, I sat down with my parents and the guys, nobody's going to give me a shot with my degree. Nobody. I've been doing this for a year. And after, so at that time I told them like, I'm just going to run with my business that I know I can thrive at, that's built around me. And that's what I did. And I've been doing this now, what, 20 years later, and I'm a nationally certified disability-owned company with an organization called Disability N. I got a state of Illinois certification as well, and doing work with large companies, small companies, medium-sized medium companies. And yeah, so then, so that's pretty much that in a nutshell. But then once kind of, um, over the years, you hire employees, you train them to get them to be right where you want them to be. And then you trust them to, to do what you need them to do, but then they up and quit on you. And it's like, then it's, you got to start all over trying to find someone again. And I got sick of doing that. I wear so many hats. I got tons, I got gray hair underneath this hat. It's just <laughs> tons of gray hair. But it's yeah. Just, I've got streaks got, going through here, man. Yeah, they hair on you. Doing it. Over the years, it's just something had to give. I just, I was wearing so many hats. Operating, I could still run equipment. I get around my ability. So I put more miles on my scooter than, than most people would do just walking around. And uh, I would get to a point where I was wearing, I just was wearing way too many hats. And yeah. then I'd be going out to supervise installs because I, the guys I would have working for me at the day, if something wasn't. It's maybe it's just me being a perfectionist where I needed to go on the big installs because at the end of the day, owning the company, the buck stops with me. Sure. If something happens at an install or something's crooked or something's messed up, it's coming back to me. Customers saying, Jeremy, Hey, this is messed up. Not only do I have to pay out of my own pocket to remake it, I also have to pay out of my pocket to reinstall it, pay out of my pocket to, to have the same guys go back and install it. And what if they mess it up again? So. It just, it got to be too much. I'd be out on installs and my phone's blowing up because people need quotes. I need other stuff going on that I needed to be back in my office to manage. Sure. And so 
I did it for years and then COVID hit and, and the whole world slowed down. It was still busy, not with the same sort of work, but with other work, all the social distancing signage, the decals and all that sort of stuff. But all the other stuff just kind of slowed down and it gave me a lot of time to sit back and think about it. You sit there and you watch the news, you watch everything. And it's like, if this is ever going to be over or when this is going to be over, what do I want to be doing for the next 10, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. It actually gave me time to sit back and reflect on the last 20 years of my life and what I want to be doing for the next 20, 30 years of my life. Can I continue doing it this way? Do I want to keep wearing all these hats? I don't have a big shop. I never had a big shop. I always yeah. built relationships. With what did you guys, and, if I cut in on you, what did you guys look like yeah. prior to COVID? Like what, uh, how many employees did you have? Like, yeah, what, what was I, the kind of general I, the feel for yeah, this? I had, I had three employees I mean, it was nothing big, but I wore so many hats or I did so much. And I had a sub of subcontractors that I relied on for fabricating big signage who also had bucket trucks. So I'd hire them to go install. So I didn't have to have all that. What equipment did you guys have in house? Digital printers, plotters, laminators. Kind of the, the standard. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't need to invest in any other stuff because I had relationships with subs that had it already. They made the big investments and all that. And over the years, that's what there's been a lot more dependable subcontractors, wholesalers, whatever you want to say. That's all they do. They invest the millions of dollars in the equipment where why would I, why should I do it? I can call up, you know, like for instance, like TJ, I think it's GCI digital imaging. Yeah. Excuse me. GCI digital imaging throughout Ohio. He's buying new equipment like every other week and he can get it to me in, in a couple of days or science 365, all these companies, they just deal with guys like us who have the experience and we know what we're doing. They don't have to deal with the end user. They just have to make it, print it, ship it. It's just. I see their mindset, why they're doing it. And so I should, I've had to invest in all that equipment, all that overhead. And when it didn't make any sense. If we go back to like, what was the, the tipping point for you? We hit COVID yeah. things slowed down. Yeah. Well, it just, it just gave me so much time to reflect a year or two, however long it was, however long, how do you, it's, it's COVID's a blur now. It's just, it's <laughs> like a blip where it's like, it's just like a bad dream. Or just a fog, but I kind of decide, like, all right, do I want to keep doing this or change up, change everything up? So I kind of just decided as soon as I decided I wanted to change things up, I'm really kind of came up with a plan. Like, all right, well, how am I going to do this? Who am I going to basically build relationships with and what relationships do I have in place already? And turns out I had a lot of relationships in place already. It's just, I didn't need all the employees. I didn't have that many already, but. Still had workman's and workman's comp, which I didn't need anymore. Got rid of the workman's comp. Didn't need all the equipment, sold all my equipment. And I basically just work out of office now. As long as I got internet connection, my email contacts, basically what I'm doing now, which just, uh, it's going about a different way. It's just, it's going good because then there, it came time too. like, all right, in 20, 30 years, being here in the Chicagoland area, I hate winter. I absolutely hate winter. I want to go somewhere warm. Yeah. I'd love to go to Florida or go to Tennessee or something, but the way my business was set up, having equipment, having all this stuff, I'd be stuck here. I don't want to be stuck here. I want to be, have the option. So whether it's five, 10, 15, 20 years, Hey, maybe me and my entire family, my sister, my brother-in-law, my niece, maybe we're going to, maybe we'll decide to move somewhere at where I was. I couldn't do that. So right now I can do that. All I need is a computer and internet connection where I can basically run my business anywhere in the country, in the world, if I wanted to, I'm not leaving the country, but you know, <laughs> yeah. not saying I'm even going to move at all, but the option to do it is there now that I never had, or even thought about three, four years ago before COVID. So COVID, it just opened up my mind. It just gave me that time to think that I've never had that time to think about before ever. How has this move? to getting rid of your staff and your equipment? How has it affected your, your sales and your bottom line? Have you lost any customers or have any customers lost faith in you, I guess, because you're no. not manufacturing anything in house or has it really changed your, you know, your, your bottom line much at all? 
No, at the end of the day, I'm actually kind of making more money because I'm not buying materials. I'm not buying consumables. I'm not pulling my hair out looking for stock of materials because all this supply chain issues and all that. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can't, I don't have to call Grimco, Grimco or any of these other companies. Hey, can I get a roller IJ 180? Can I get this? Can I get, oh no, we're out of stock. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I have to, my suppliers and subconscious were to worry about that now. So it's just, uh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. How did it affect your bottom line sales? Did your sales go up, down? Did they oh, see the same? No, they're going down a little bit, but they're starting to come back up. And I, some of the clients that I'm kind of, I'm kind of picky now who I like to work with. It's just, I have industries and clientele that I enjoy working with more so than others. So I try to market towards that sort of persona that I'm interest in building relationships with and companies or people who aren't interested in the relationship, then I'm not interested in working with you. I'm in it for the relationships. At the end of the day, I like seeing how my clients are doing, how their family's doing, how's their business doing. And then I feel they like to hear the same thing about me, call up on the phone or do a video call or whatever, and shoot the shit for a little while. And cause the end of the day, business is built on relationships. That's your, um, your wild card. When it comes down to, if somebody's nitpicking about price, someone's going to pick, Hey, I got a relationship with Jeremy. He, Jeremy's a great guy. I'd rather send him the work than some Joe Schmo that has a couple bucks cheaper, who's never going to talk to. When you pulled the trigger to make this pretty drastic change in the way you operate your business, did, did you make any sort of announcement to your, your customer base? Like, Hey, we're going to, you know, fundamentally change the way we operate. Or did you just keep going on as business with, as usual with them? And did they know? No, I didn't tell anybody until like a project with them came up. It's, I didn't make like an email announcement. Hey, I'm doing all this, changing things up. I just went on as business as usual and they really didn't care. It's just because they were in the, they were in the relationship with me. And as long as I was able to take care of them and I had all my ducks in a row or whatever I was going to do to make sure whatever they needed got to them when they needed it and they got what they needed, they're fine with that. It doesn't matter to them really who actually made it. I'm still, again, the buck still stops at me. If I'm going to have someone else do it, I'm going to make sure they're just as good as what I was able to, to, to knock out for them. Yeah. You're still using the same materials that the quality is always going to be there. It's just, I'm physically not making it anymore. They didn't really care. Yeah. Do you ever run across situations where that does factor into a customer's decision-making as a manufacturer. Cause I used to get, yeah. I used to get that a lot where like I, there were certain bids that I just couldn't win if we weren't going to manufacture hundred percent right. of the, yeah. you know, you know the project in house. Yeah. I haven't come across a lot of them, but you know, you're, you're, you're submitting bid for a larger company. They want to know you, they basically want to know all the probably for everything down to the size of your underwear. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, you really need to know all this. You're going to get, but I get it from their point of view. I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a tricky one to overcome. I feel like, cause I know a lot of customers, larger customers, especially they, it's not so much about whether you can produce the, the product and meet the yeah. deadline. It's, it's more about, do you have the capability to, to, to back manage, it up when, yeah. you know, when, when the shit hits the fan and this project right. is sideways, uh, will your vendor be, be there to, right. Right. to, to make sure this still goes through right on time. Right. That's and, why picking and choosing solid relationships with suppliers or vendors, that's top of mind all the time. I'm not going to go with someone just because of the cheapest price. I, I pick my relationships with my suppliers or vendors, just as if I pick my clients or my clients pick me. Cause I know if that's a, that's a good point. I think, yeah, you know, for all these guys listening on the podcast, I don't know that we would recommend like a total shift like that, but you know, outsourcing is oftentimes a dirty word with customers and clients. Like, Hey, we're not going to do this okay. in house. And, and, you know, I think that's changing a little bit or, or it seems to, at least anecdotally, but yeah, I, I was definitely curious about that when Mike was asking those questions. It's, it's different structure, different folks. I wouldn't recommend what I'm doing for everybody. Some people, it just, it all depends on what you need or want out of life. I personally, I don't need the big giant shop. I don't need the millions of dollars worth of equipment. I don't need all the big employees, the big overhead, the big nut to crack every month. I'm content with what I have and what I can grow 
and then still be able to sleep well at night and not have to worry about all those giant overhead bills. I would like to travel more and do more stuff where I don't have to be worrying about all that. There's nothing wrong with all that, with all that. That's perfectly fine. Sure. Talk to me about the transition process. Like, Hey, today I decide like totally shifting my business. How long has that taken you from the, the time that you made the decision? Well, when I first started, kind of when I started getting into it, the first thing I was doing was just building a new website, I had a new website built kind of where, you know, everything's kind of supplier based or there's nothing that's totally custom that I guess you can say that's in there. Still do custom stuff. My, my portfolios, we all have custom stuff in them. But a lot of it just whatever suppliers are providing. So mainly geared towards the medium to Fortune 500 companies where they need promotional products. They need business cards. They need flyers where they need a lot of it. Where so not necessarily, not necessarily custom, but then I'll do still offer the custom dimensional letters, dimensional logos on a wall or whatever that I'll get from a supplier. Another site is that I'll, you know, I'll get from a supplier, but kind of just switching gears from, Hey, everything's custom. Hey, we make everything custom in-house to getting away from that. And that took a little bit of work, but you know, still, I got to build out some more pages on the website and get some more traffic to it. I don't have a lot of pages on there. Google likes more content. So okay. work with my web developer to, feed the machine. to get that going. Yeah. And yes, yes. We got to get blog posts going and all that stuff. And it's like, I'm not as busy. It's like, I'm busy, but I'm a different busy now. I'm not worried about the employees. I'm not worried about making stuff. I'm not worried about all that, but I'm more focused on the marketing side. Oh, wait, now we got to do new, more website pages. Hey, we got to do more social media. So now it's, now I'm wearing more of a marketing side of the hat as opposed to before I didn't have time to do any of that stuff. Yeah, so that's a good shift. Everyone's really thinking about that. Let's see, we've yeah. harped on that on some of the other episodes well, of the podcast, yeah. the need to yeah. like, get out of the production mindset and, and into yeah. that business owner, marketing sales side yeah. of it. Right. So this is, I actually, I got a perfect line. I spent too many years working in my business and not enough years working on my business, meaning the marketing side and all that sort of stuff. And now I do have time to do all that. So your new model is so, like very dependent upon like the different vendors that you're working with. How are you, mm -hmm. like, what's your model for vetting these guys or, you know, how are you finding new vendors? Well, I'm actually a part of, I joined an organization called I Promote You. They're actually one of the largest promotion product companies in the country. They're a top 40 company and I'm an affiliate of them basically. They, uh, they have their own system in place. They have, they got buying power. They got buying power with all the big suppliers for promotional products and, and uh, they do financial backing too. Any purchase order I have, they handle it all. So if someone, customer comes to me with a $100,000 order, I don't have to basically bankroll that, pay the supplier up front and wait for to get paid. I promote you will pay and then I'll get paid when they get paid. So I don't have to go get a line of credit. I don't have to rack up credit card bills. I don't have to do any of that, which is great because being a certified disability company, I do have the opportunity to get in the doors of a lot of large companies with supplier diversity goals. And they all have net 30, net 60, some of them have net 90 days. I can't bankroll these large purchase orders for that long. There ain't no way. And I don't feel like I should have to finance them either. And. And so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was a kind of a big hurdle to get over, but I'm there, I'm doing it. It's, it's a good partnership with them, but then other suppliers, like on the scientist side, being in the business so long, I've back to science one-on-one days, some were in there. Now these Facebook groups, there's a couple of good Facebook groups that have suppliers on there and building relationships with them too. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, uh, you kind of, it's just the tricks of the trade. You've, you've been in it for so long, you kind of know, you learn over the years and it's just, it's experience for someone starting out in the game now. Hey, I want to be in the, in the, in the signage print and promotion products business. And I have absolutely no experience. I would not recommend this whatsoever. I think that's I'll, important to qualify. To yeah. This is not yeah. financial yeah. advice. Yeah. If you're no. new to the business, no. you, if you don't have an understanding do of signage, do, do not do this. <laughs> no. no, no. Yeah. And yeah, I do not recommend it. I mean, you have to know. 
a lot about this industry in order to, to do this sort of thing. And even, yeah, I, yeah, I don't recommend, I don't recommend it. Go work for another company for a while, or you need years of experience with, from everything from design through production, through fulfillment, through installation, through permitting, you need all that experience that if you don't have it, then you're just going to be hurting yourself. You'll be ending sooner than you get started. So. So now that you are on the kind of the tail end of this, this pretty major transition with your business, Jeremy, what would you do differently with now that you have the benefit of, you know, 2020 hindsight vision, would you undertake this process of, of, you know, downsizing and getting rid of your equipment and staff and everything? Would you do anything different in that process or did you, were you pretty happy with <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more happy with it. It's just with me having a muscle dystrophy as well. I have some health issues that a lot of people don't have. And so it's, I'm able to still kind of build my own schedule. Hey, if I can't get up at 6am to go to work, or if I have a doctor's appointment, or if I'm, if I'm got some aches and pains where I need to take a break at lunchtime and go stretch out and on my recliner for a little while, I can do that. When I had all that other stuff going on, I wasn't able to do that. And I'm getting older too. It's just that the older you get, every got more aches and pains, but I mean, mine are a little Preach. different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine are a little bit different than everybody else's, but so I'm kind of adapting. My, my, my disability kind of progresses as the year, years go on. So I'm adapting my, my actual life to my disability and I've been now adapting my business life to my disability and it's going, it's going well. Taking on back to when I first got this idea, the ultimate goal was to, Hey, I'm going to get in the, the door of these huge corporations. And that was kind of my, my, my big goal is actually I'm kind of my main focus to do those, those, those huge companies, but it's just, I'm learning this 2022 that's a lot tougher than I thought. These huge companies, they have many departments. Layers and layers. Many departments. Yeah. A challenge to, to navigate for you then. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's time consuming where it's like, can't we just, just get, get an order going here and then. <laughs> it kind of sounds like one of the conversations we were having between Mike and Peter and I about the customers versus yeah. accounts. It seems like you've made the shift yeah. as a, a smaller sign shop. A lot of the customers that you're serving yeah. are smaller businesses too. And hey, that, that makes it right. easy to do business with them. There's only one decision maker, right. but obviously it's not yeah. a large corporation. That's just going to continually feed right. you business over and over. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So, but the, on the flip side, it's like, so, so yeah, dealing with all these different groups are a pain in the butt, but ideally once my foot's in the door, I'm in with one group and then the ultimate goal is, Hey, well, that group then refers me to another group and then that group refers me to another group. And actually I'm doing work with all these different groups in the same company and that's just, they all got their own budgets for purchasing whoever they need. So that's, that's the goal and that's what I'm working on, but I'm still not. I'm not focusing solely on working with the large corporations anymore because they're, it's just their buying isn't as consistent as I need it to be. Hey, Jeremy, we're ever thinking about doing a project in, in the, in the third quarter of 2023. It's like, well, what about now? <laughs> it's like, come on, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, a challenge for Yeah. Yeah. The bills got to get paid. So it's like, I still got to focus on the, the small, the medium, even large size companies that still have somewhat of a easier purchasing program, I guess you can say, where you're dealing with only a few people and they need stuff throughout the year, every year. And it's easy. And those are the ones that keep the bills paid and keep them to keep the cash flow going and, and then working with the, the, the huge companies. That's, that's, I guess that's just like an extra perk now where it's like, um, still got to focus on it. I just not going to spend as much time focusing nice. on it. Well, it sounds like you got a plan for moving forward. What are you most excited about with this new model versus your previous model of, Hey, I've got overhead. I've got all this stuff. Once I have like a good system, once I get the, the marketing in place or I can get systems in place. Cause for me right now, it's just about marketing. It's just about spreading the word, building more relationships where the new relationships come, come in and they're, and they're, they're built on my new kind of platform here where I can kind of streamline everything and I have 
the relationships in place. I have backend financing in place. I have everything in place to be successful. It's just bringing in more clientele to keep that rolling and growing. And, and I'm not saying I'm never going to hire any more people again. I'm just going to hire them in different roles. I'm not going to hire them for production. I'm not going to hire them for that. I'll be hiring them for like being like an account manager or to, to manage or maybe salespeople yeah. or something like that, where it would be a little yeah. bit different. So you're not role. cool. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you, you jumping on with this, Jeremy. I've always hey, really welcome. admired like your branding and like the marketing that you do. I think your site is a good example of what shops in the industry should be targeting. But I think this is a, yeah. a great story and I really like like this transformation of like, Hey, what I had previously wasn't working for me. So I changed it. And now the, the business is built around right. your lifestyle instead of <laughs> like mm -hmm. us building our lifestyle around the business. I, I think that's the, the big point that, that you drove home for me today anyway, yeah. is if mm -hmm. you're a shop owner and you're stressed out, you've got all this overhead, you're working too many hours, you don't enjoy it, make a change. Start building the business around your lifestyle. Yeah, there has to be, there has to be an end game for everybody. Where do you see yourself in 20, 30 years? Are you going to, you going to sell your company or are you going to do something else? You want to travel more? Do you want to spend time with your family more? It's just, yes, you want to be successful, but there's always a price on success. There's, there's always, you're losing something somewhere. If you want to keep growing and growing and growing and growing, your family's suffering, you're, you're losing friendships. You're not spending as much time with your friends either. I love doing it. I love my buddies calling me up on a Tuesday. Hey, Jeremy, hey, you want a few beers tonight? Sure. I can do that on a Tuesday. It's like, cause I don't have to worry about being at a shop first thing in the morning. I have to worry about, but that's, it's, it's my personal choice where, where my mindset is, where I still want to be successful, still want to do all sorts of stuff. It's just. Is it just doing it in a different right. way? So know? for anybody who might be interested so, in checking out the website or learning more or getting in touch with you, you know, how can they contact you? Yeah, well, you can visit sharpmill.com, S-H-A-R-P-M-I-L-L.com, or you can, you can email me at Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y at sharpmill.com, um, or check me out on LinkedIn, or I'm on all these, these Facebook groups for signs and graphics too. Well, yeah. Thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, Great. you're yeah, welcome. Looking forward to, Thank to you, seeing where you go with this thing. Awesome, man. All right. All right. Take care guys. We'll Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. So uh, closing this one out guys, I really enjoyed this episode. I think Jeremy's got a great story. So let's get into rapid fire takeaways. Peter, he's not here. So Mike, <laughs> what's your takeaway on today? I like that. He ended on a work-life balance note, which I, I feel like every one of these conversations we have goes back to people seeking out better work-life balance, which I'm happy to see. I hate the uh, the grind till you die mentality, and I that's been so pervasive, I think, in, in work culture in general for so long. I'm really happy to see people trying to change their situation and adapt, like you said, their work-life to fit their you know, their lifestyle versus trying to adapt their lifestyle to fit their work life. So for me, I think the biggest takeaway there was this is a great way to achieve some of that work-life balance and de-stress your life a little bit and achieve some of that personal life outside of work, enjoyment and balance. I know for me, it's a huge reason why I do what I do where I work from home in my pajamas because I, it's, I don't, that's the lifestyle that I want. I want the freedom to do what I want when I want to do it. And anything that you can do to work towards that goal you're trying to achieve and remember that we're no matter what we do whether we work for somebody else or in a business that it's only a means to an end so that we have the lifestyle that we want so seems like a great avenue to pursue to to achieve that outsourcing it's all about lifestyle <laughs> no i yeah i agree i like i was going to say the same thing so i don't know that i have a great rapid fire takeaway out of that like the Gary V hustle porn stuff. Like you gotta be grinding. You gotta work the 80 hours a week. Like I've done that and I still do that sometimes when I've got, I, sometimes I just got to crunch on a project and, and get it done. But on the whole, it's not sustainable. It's not the way that I want to work. I totally know what you're trying to say. I remember at my shop, like I, I kept the blanket and pillow and I can't tell you how many times I slept on the floor under my desk 
not necessarily because I had to, but because I, I felt like that was a badge of honor. Like I'm an entrepreneur and I don't leave my office ever. Look how hard I work. And it's such an unhealthy mentality to, yeah. to maintain. And you will, you'll hit a wall and flame out spectacularly if you, if you do that too long. Yeah, you're right. The whole hustle and grind mentality that's been viral. I don't know what the right word for it is, but it's there's more to life than working. And I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that they start a business and become entrepreneurs because because they're trying to achieve a better lifestyle, but then they don't. Then they work themselves to death. And that's completely counterintuitive and works against the whole goal that you set out for, even if that goal is only subconscious and you don't even realize that's why you went into business. That's why everybody goes into business. There's no other reason to go into business than to control your you own destiny. Better, yeah. You want a better environment. That's exactly what I was trying to say. I just couldn't say it. Yeah. Yes, How many I, cups of coffee have you had today? I don't know, like six. No, it's <laughs> no, it's like four. Just need maybe. an IV. Just, just yeah. pump, it, pump it into your veins at this point. So I, if you would like to be a guest on the show, Definitely shoot us an email at hey at bettersignshop.com or if you just have questions or topic suggestions, shoot us an email. We'll probably email you back. We're good mm -hmm. like that. We are. All right, Mike. Hopefully next week we'll have Peter back from the galaxy far, far away. So maybe next week we'll have a new nickname for you every week my identity is different it's hard to keep up with myself here <laughs> that sounds stressful that's why you're it, dude, you have no hair left we can't come up with it's true new <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks see it goodbye everybody if you liked this episode make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes and check out our website bettersignshop.com Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.